Numbers uh, chapter 13, verses, uh, yeah, that's right, 26 through 30. So hear God's word read. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the, in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went to the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there, they are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, they live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. And Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. This is the word of the Lord. You can have a seat. Uh, well, good morning, and uh, let me add a welcome as well. My name is Tim, and I serve as, as one of the pastors here. It's good to have you uh, with us. And as Andrew uh, mentioned, um, we're, uh, we're in the midst of a, an important season as a church. We have a building. Uh, we, we put an offer on. Uh, the offer went out officially on Monday, and uh, we didn't hear back uh, yet. Um, um, not, not concerning. Our real estate person is not concerned at all on that. Um, but it's a big, it's a big uh, season for us as a church. And if you were here last week, uh, if you weren't here last week, I should say, I encourage you to go and listen to the podcast there. We sort of laid out the announcement with, some, with a lot of context, and we don't want to do that every week. Um, but it's not just a building in Shawnee we're looking at. Our downtown campus also found a building that feels like it's the right home um, for them as well. And so we, we kind of feel like we're at like a crossroads moment uh, as, as a church to potentially buy two buildings at one, at one time. Um, and so we sort of, we did a little uh, audible, and instead of preaching through, uh, we originally kind of had a longer series on Isaiah, we wanted to, to step back and kind of in this crossroads moment for us as a church, go to a crossroads moment text uh, in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Scriptures, Numbers 13 and, and 14, which Andrew read for us. And we've been just thinking and reflecting on what does it mean to be a people, to be a church of bold faith. So we're going to continue that in that in that story now. I'm going to pray for us first, and then we'll jump in uh, to that story. Let's pray. Uh, Father God, Jesus, Jesus said in John 11 that he's the resurrection and the life, and whoever believes in him, though they die, yet shall they live. And so, Jesus, we believe you have words that bring eternal life, and we so we open the word of God now. Lord, speak to us. Impart life to us through your spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, yesterday, uh, my family did probably the worst thing that you could do on a Saturday morning, which is we took all three of our children to the dentist. <laughs> and we have three boys. They're seven and under. And our older two, they've already been to the dentist. Uh, but our youngest son, Abel, who's three, this was his, this was his inaugural voyage into the world of dentistry. Um, and, and he went in, and we, we tried to, like, to tell him it's going to be okay. But we've taken him to the doctor far too much for him to believe us at this point. And so he's like, no, am I going to get poked there? That's what we, shots are pokes for us. Uh, so he's, am I going to get poked? And we promised him no poking, uh, no stabbing, no hurting of any kind. And his brothers were very helpful in this because the dentist place we go to, is like, this is legit. If you need a kid's dentist place, basically, I don't think they actually care about healthy teeth. I think they just... Because like, what they do is they give uh, you balloons, they give you a toy, and they finish it off with ice cream, which I thought that was bad for your teeth. But anyway, well, that's a, beside the point. So our, our boys were telling Abel, no, there's balloons there, there's toys there, and there's ice cream at the end. And so he, you know, he, was starting, he, he cared nothing for what his parents said to him, but his brother's like, maybe this is good. So he goes, uh, we go, we get into the, the chair, and, and uh, 
you know, and they ask who wants to go first. Obviously, Abel's not going to go first. So uh, Micah, our middle son, he volunteered his tribute uh, to go first. And he gets in the chair, and he's been there before, and he knows how it works. He threw on the sunglasses, and he just, I mean, he just chilled. He just laid out there. There's a TV. He watched a cartoon while the dental hygienist cleaned his teeth. I don't even know if he was fully conscious in that moment. He was just living it up. And so Abel sees this, and he's like, all right, this is good. I can do this. So he gets, he gets in the chair, and whereas, like, Micah was, like, sprawled out, completely, uh, completely peaceful, Abel gets in there, and he keeps his hands up like this. Like, almost like, I've co- I don't have any weapons. I've come in peace. Uh, don't hurt me. Um, and he stayed like that the whole time uh, that they worked on his teeth. And, and he, but he gets down, he gets his balloon, and he's like, all right, this is okay. And, and we go through the whole morning, and, and it ends up, uh, like I said, they know what they're doing there. It's an amazing place. And it ended up working out really well, but we were, we were quite aware going into that appointment that it, it didn't have to go this way. Um, and and <clears throat> yeah, like his brothers, when they think of the dentist now, which is, this is not what I thought of the dentist growing up. I did not have a place like this, to be very clear. Uh, if we need to work out our childhood issues, I'm open for that. Uh, but like it, they think of dentistry, and they think uh, balloons, toys, and ice cream. right? And, and that's what they sold to Abel. Not the teeth cleaning, not the x-rays, not the, all, the uncomfortable. When they think of the dentist, they think of balloons, toys, and ice cream. And listen, I know this is going to feel like a big jump, but just try it with me. Um, but when, like, when it comes to Numbers in 13 and 14, like, the same thing is happening in that story where they're, they're, at, they're at a choice and they're looking at this land. And on the one hand, they see milk and honey and grapes and good things. And on the other hand, they see uh, fortified cities and people that are very dangerous. And they have a choice about what they're going to see, what they're going to look at. And this morning, uh, you know, kind of week two in bold faith, uh, what I want to say about faith this morning, like if you take up life with God, which is faith, uh, you're, just, you're going to see things differently. And that's what I want to talk about through Numbers 13 and 14 this morning, is how faith changes what we see. And the first thing I want to talk about is, is bold faith restores our sight. Now to, to back up even for a minute, we're in the book of Numbers, which is in the, the Hebrew Testament, the Old Testament. It's the fourth book in the Bible. And my guess is, like, you don't read this a whole lot. You probably don't have a life verse out of Numbers. It's not a particularly interesting book. And yet, as I mentioned, like, this is a crossroads moment in the Bible. And, and the reason it is, because at the very beginning of the Bible, there's a guy named Abraham. And God goes to this guy named Abraham, and he says to Abraham, which basically kicks off the entire story of the Bible. Um, he says to Abraham, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make three promises to you. Promise one is you're an old guy, Abraham. I'm going to give you a child. I'm going to give you a son. Even though you can't have kids anymore, I'm going to give you a son. And then secondly, even though you're just going to have this one son, that one son over time is going to become an entire nation of people. And that nation is going to bless the world. It's going to take me to the entire world. So I'm going to give you a son. I'm going to make that son into an entire nation. And Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, the first three books of the Bible, it tells how those those two promises come true. Um, So by the time we get to Numbers, we're at promise three, which the third promise to Abraham was, Abraham, I'm not just going to give you a son. I'm not just going to turn that son into a nation. I'm going to give you a land to live in and to flourish out of as a a nation, as a people. And so in Numbers, they are at the border of that land, and God has told them, go in and, and take my promise. Now's the moment that we've been waiting for. Go in and live out this promise. And so they have, they have a choice about what to do and what to look at in particular. And when Moses, uh, and we talked about this last week, when Moses sent them into the land, 
he gave them a very clear command. He, he said, I want you to look at five things, which is really just three things. But he, he lists them, five things. He says, I want you to look at the land. Look, at, see what's in there. See its fruits. Then I want you to look at the people that are in there. And then I want you to look at the land. Again, the milk, the hunt. Go look at how good it is. And then I want you to look at the cities and how they're well fortified. These people know they know war. And then fifthly, I want you to look at the land. Right, and you go through the list. It's so obvious. Moses is saying there's a lot you can look at when you go into this. When you go out to spy this land out, don't lose sight of the land. And like good foreshadowing, that's exactly what happens. And in verse 27, when they come back, the report they give is, we came to the land which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey. And this is its fruit. And they, they have some grapes that they brought back with them. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Canaanites. And they spend most of their time not looking at the promise of God in the land, but the people and the cities. The exact opposite of what God had asked them to do. And so the question for them is, when you look at what's ahead, whether to take this land or not, what do you see? Do you see the fruits? Do you see the promises of God? Do you see his provision? Or do you see only the problems? The people, the cities, the danger. And what I love uh, about this story is, you know, I think in our context in particular, uh, we often describe faith or we describe the Christian life following Jesus as something that makes life easier. And what I love about this choice is they have, they, like they have two hard choices. And God's very clear about this. If you don't trust me and uh, take my promises to heart and go and take the land, you're going to die in the wilderness. Uh, or you can, even though you're not a military power and you have no chance of defeating these people in these well-fortified cities, you can go and attack the land and I'll, I will make good on my promises. And you can eat grapes. And so the choice is eat grapes or dig graves. And they're both hard choices. Die or go attack an enemy that would probably kill you. It's not, like faith does not introduce an easy alternate path to life. And, and that's why I defined faith the way I did last week. Which is that faith, faith is trusting God's promises and living out those promises no matter the cost. Faith is trusting in God's promises and living out those promises no matter the cost. And so they have a choice. Do we trust that God, who said to Abraham way back when, and he's done everything he said he's going to do up to this point, will God actually give us this land or will he not? Do we trust God's promises or do we not? And, and, and just a quick aside, I mentioned this last week. It's important. You know, we're not doing a long series on uh, Israel taking this land. And obviously, like, in our context, we, we don't want to, like, say, let's go invade a country and take them for God. Like, that's not a healthy thing typically. And, and, and so there's a couple things that are unique here. One is, is that um, um, uh, God had promised this particular land to Israel. And two is uh, the reason God is, is removing the people who live in the land there, it's made clear in other portions of Scripture, is that they were really wicked people. Um, we see they, they're very violent people, but more than that, they were, they were worshipers of a god named Molech who actually uh, had people sacrifice their own children to him. And so th- these are not, this isn't Mr. Rogers, um, like I said last week. This is, these are people that God has said enough of the way they're living, and he's driving, he's driving them out in, in judgment. And so again, I, I can't deal with that fully, but that, 
just so you know, like the Bible just doesn't say, hey, if you're a Christian and you find a piece of land you like, go drive the people out of their house, you get it. You're, that's, not, that's not happening. Um, that's not happening here. And so that's one. But what's happening is, is a decision. Like God has promised them this land. Will they take it or not? And there's a choice. And you see the choice really laid out well in verses 30 and 31. One from a guy named Caleb who's like maybe about to become your favorite guy in the Bible. He's pretty awesome. And then the people, the majority. One guy versus basically an entire nation. Here's what Caleb says. So remember, they're, they're complaining about all the people, the cities, that we can't do this. So Caleb, verse 30, quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. So Caleb said, what are we, let's go, let's do it. That's his answer. The majority then, the rest of the spies, they say, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So there's a choice. And the difference between Caleb and the majority, the spies, is all on how you define who we is. All right, so the spies, they, they, the majority says, we are not able to overcome this. And Caleb says the exact opposite. He says, we are able to overcome this. And what's clear is that Caleb has a different we than they have. And you see it in Numbers 14, uh, starting in verse 7. When Caleb says we, it's a, it's a pretty big we. Caleb later says, The land which we pass through to spy it out, it's an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into the land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. So when Caleb says in verse 30, we are able to, to overcome them, the we for him includes the Lord. It includes God. And for the, the majority, when they say we are not able to overcome this, their we excludes God. And the, like the first thing faith does is faith puts in our, our sight what, what is the most important thing for us to see ever, which is God. And whether it's like big things of the people of God, like the, this moment with the land, or the little things of our lives, or the big things of our lives, when we look into what's ahead, what causes us fear, what causes us anxiety, whether it's, you know, it's three-year-old at a dentist, which is a big, that's a big deal, it's a big thing to fear, um, or it's, you know, as you grow up, the stakes get larger. When you look into what causes you fear, what worries you, what makes you anxious, is God like the primary thing you see in that? Or is it the giants and the problems and all that could go wrong or all that, that isn't working out? Is God the most important thing in your reality? Well, that's, that's a question that, that's just forced on this story, which is how much God is in your reality. When it comes to, to the way you inhabit school and, and you're around friends, and, and for me, like high school was a really difficult place to be a Christian, you know, 20 or 30 years ago, whenever I was in high school. Um, it's, it's hard. <laughs> Or when uh, you go to work, when you are around your coworkers, in your neighborhood, in your community. Like it's, it is, there's a lot of, for us to worry about, to be concerned about. And how much is God, of God is in that? How much do you, do you operate through life partnering with God in what he's already doing or forgetting he's there? The spies have forgotten God is there. And they only see the giants, the well-fortified, the problems. And so the problems define them. 
But faith undoes that. Faith opens our eyes to see that whatever is in front of us is not something that excludes God, but God is actually the most important thing of whatever's in front of us. So that's point one. Bold faith uh, restores our sight. Secondly, bold, fa- bold faith uh, it clears our vision. And the thing about fear, living out of fear, living out of toxic fear, is it actually begins, not just that we don't see God, but then we actually distort what we think we see. We distort our reality. And so what happens here is that as they begin to like think through this decision, um, do we go into the land or not, they start looking back to Egypt, and they start like completely misremembering everything that's ever happened in the past. And so they start thinking, like, we had it pretty good in Egypt. It was, they didn't. They were slaves. Like, it was, they were awful. It was terrible. And yet they're like, well, we had, we had our meals. We didn't have to attack giants in Egypt, at least. We didn't have to invade well-fortified cities. It was easier back then. And so they, they start thinking back to their slavery. And one, they forget that, uh, and, and again, this is, we don't have time to go into all these stories, but um, in the, um, you know, if you've seen the Ten Commandments at Easter or the Prince of Egypt, like that whole story of God being, uh, uh, like freeing Israel out of Egypt, like that was the most powerful political power of the day. Uh, the most dominant people of the day, and yet God freed them out of Israel, uh, out of uh, freed Israel out of Egypt, and now they're looking at the Promised Land, and they're like, "Oh, we can't do that." It's like, "What? No, forget that." Don't you remember what happened? But more than that, they start thinking back on their slavery with fondness, right? Like, "Oh, it was, it was, wasn't it better back then?" Which it wasn't, and that we all do that, right? We 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 distort memories of the past to like help us not make hard decisions in the present, don't we? Or we did, like we remember the past more fondly than it actually was, which which distorts our present reality. So that happened to me. I was in Chicago uh, a few times over the course of October, and one there was a week where we went to the seminary I went to, um, and when I was there, it was just like I just remembered school really fondly, and I saw someone I worked with at Starbucks that was there that I hadn't seen in a while, and I just started remembering like, oh, wasn't it wasn't school great? And I was learning, and I, uh, you know, it was, it was awesome, and Chicago was such a great place to live, and here's it wasn't. Chicago's a miserable place to live from about November 1 to May 1. And even then, it comes sometimes goes to June 1. It's like there's snow on the ground basically from November until June in Chicago. And, and I, I was working two jobs. I was worn out. I was exhausted. Like I, but now I think about it, it's like maybe, maybe I should do some doctoral work while I'm a pastor here in, in Kansas City. That'd be, it's like, what am I thinking? And it's because we, we think back on the past, and we remember things that didn't happen, and we remember them wrong. Like, like we get our past distorted, and that's what's happened to them. They think back to Egypt, and they're like, wasn't it great? No, it wasn't. It was terrible. And so bold faith, it, it doesn't just give us a sense of God that's in front of us, but it, it gives us a clear sense of of how life actually is. And so faith clears that vision. So that, that's, that's one aspect of, of living in faith in, instead of uh, fear. But, but the other is, is faith, or fear tends to drive us towards comfort, towards what's easy. Whereas faith always makes life more difficult. Right? And the choice they're given is because they've, they've taken up life with God, they can either, like, invade this really difficult place and go to war and face really difficult enemy and eat grapes, living in the promise of God, or they can dig graves in the wilderness. Both choices are hard. And basically what they want to do is they want to back out of a life of faith and go back to Egypt where, where things were comfortable, even if they were, it, was, it was easier. No faith needed. Everything's provided for. Live passively. And I have to say, like, I think... This may be too strong, I don't know. Uh, I think that the predominant problem within the American church today is that, we, man, we live for comfort. 
And if, if church isn't comfortable, then the problem is the church, not me. Or, or if, if, if I follow Jesus, he'll make my life more comfortable. Even though, like, if you read this book, there's abundant evidence that's not going to paint out well. And yet, like, we try to force Jesus into a comfort-giving God. And I've, been th- I've just been thinking a lot about this. And there's a book I read. Um, it's been a few years now, but I go back to it occasionally. It's uh, a guy named C. John Miller. He was a Presbyterian pastor who lived in the 80s. Uh, the, this was a long book, but there's one chapter that just, just has always stood out to me, and this is a quote from that that has really challenged me as, as a Christian in this context. And he, he says this, he says, The local church was intended by Jesus to be a gathering of people full of faith, strong in their confidence in him, not a gathering of religious folk who desperately need reassurance. And I think that's worth asking, how much, and I, like I'm asking myself this, how much of my faith is about reassurance. It's about making things easier. It's about comfort. Versus how much of your faith in Jesus pushes you out into the unknown, out into uncomfortable places, into uncertainty. How much of your faith has put you in a place where, like, the only option is to trust the promises of God because you do not have the resources? I'm not saying uh, faith is not comforting. It is. It should be. But it's not comfortable. And this one, you know, thinking back, obviously, you know, a moment stepping into a building for us could be a big moment as a campus if this, if this works out in the end. And I've been thinking a lot about, you know, back to the, the pre-Shawnee days. And, and, and all of you know this, but, but uh, you know, Misty and I, we really wrestled with, we had a church we loved in Chicago. Do we go back there and, and, and take up a role back there? Or do we stay here and plan a campus in Kansas City? That was a real choice for us. And we wrestled with that. And one reason why why this was more important for us to do, we felt, um, was because I knew, like, whatever happened once we launched out of Aletha into Shawnee, we'd only be filled with a people, a group of people, who were comfortable being uncomfortable. Like, if you needed, like, a super posh church existence, like, sorry, you're sitting on, like, the most uncomfortable chairs in the world right now. Like, literally, you're uncomfortable uh, in this in this experience. And and so we, we knew, or I knew, like, at the end of that, that launching period, we'd end up with a group of people who, um, who had to take seriously an uncomfortable existence within the church. And that was, that was exciting um, for me. Because if, the more comfortable we get, the more we turn our eyes away from the world around us and inward to ourselves and forget the mission Jesus gives us, which is to go into the world make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Right? Our, our existence is not internal. It's ex, external. And so it's not just that, you know, we're literally uncomfortable in, in these chairs, but, but also we're in an uncomfortable moment as a church that, you know, 12 years ago when we decided to become a, a church planning church and to go multi-site, um, it meant that every, build, every you know, campus we planted would eventually... Uh, need a building or need a permanent home of, of some of some kind, and buildings are not they're not inexpensive. They're they're not cheap, <clears throat> and so part of the uncomfortable moment we're in as a church is because 12 years ago we decided we're not going to be a large regional church in one place um, that that attracts everyone into one community, but we're going to be spread throughout our city, different communities, different ethos, different different types of people in different places worshiping God through our church, Christ's community. And, and so that, for one, um, I'm, I'm glad for this moment we're in. 
And we had a real, like, we had a, you know, this has been a, a wrestling time. To buy two buildings is not an inexpensive decision, and it's going to require massive adjustments to our budget. We're still thinking through those, and we'll give you more information as the, the numbers become clear once we have, hopefully, those, those two buildings under contract. Um, but, but it was going to require a massive shift in the way we think about our, our budget over the next few years if we move forward in this. And yeah, when we had kind of the first meeting to decide, do we think this is right between our senior pastors and campus pastors? I, just, I told them, I was, I'm glad that we have to have this hard conversation. And we're not arguing over like, you know, are we going to build uh, some big expansion here, some, you know, some bigger building over there? Like we're, we're, we're in different places in the city. And it's forced a hard moment and a hard decision. Because the more you, you church plant, the more you move into different communities, the more, uh, the more expensive it gets. <laughs> and so we want to think about that over the next couple of weeks. Um, you, all, you all know kind of what we're doing here. Pretty, you know, we've talked about the building. We're going to continue to talk about it more. We'll have a video next week kind of focusing on our campus for all of the, the church. But this week we want to hear from our downtown uh, campus pastor. Their challenges are similar to ours, but they're unique. And so we just want to, as a pause, listen and enter into some of the, the challenges ahead as we think about our downtown campus finding a permanent home. So this is Gabe. Take a look.
uh, something Gabe said in there, which, which I talked about last week, and I want to hit again. You know, as we think about this moment for us as a church, it can be really easy to say, you know, like getting a building will make things more comfortable for either us or our downtown um, campus. And that we want to fight really hard against that. That the way, and we talked about this last week, the way we think about this move is, is, this, is this is for other people. And in some ways, this, I think, frees us up. You know, to do less like, hey, work just to make Sunday morning happen. But our, our hope is or our, our vision is that, that this move to a, a permanent facility for either of us is downtown allows us to be more outward, more into the community, more of a, a burden to, to take the gospel out. This isn't about us growing our own, our own thing. Um, and yet, like, this is, a big, this is a big step, big faith moment. And so as we take that step, or as we think about taking that step together, whether we think corporately as a church, being a people of bold faith, or in your own life, um, just a couple, a couple concluding thoughts about how, how, to, how to live out a life um, of bold faith in terms of what's going on in this numbers, numbers story. And the first is, is to live a life of bold faith, you have to get smaller. That the sin ultimately in, in Numbers 14, it's not, it's not fear, um, to God, it's something else. And so God, he kind of listens to them, talk amongst themselves, and then finally he interjects his opinion in Numbers 14, 11. Here's how he reads what's happening. He says, how long will this people despise me? This is the Lord speaking. How long will this people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me in spite of all the signs that I have done among them? All right, that question, not just, not just do you, why won't they believe me, but why do they despise me? In other words, like they're, they're seeing God incorrectly and they don't believe him. They don't trust him. But ultimately what it means is they're, they're trying to live their life out of their own resources. And so when they look into what's ahead, like the challenge that's ahead for them, they don't, like they don't see God in that. They, they only see their own resources, their own gifts, their own abilities. And that's why they can't, they, they realize they can't do that. And that sounds like a humble way, like, you know, we're not able to take the land, but actually, it's an incredibly prideful way to live. If you're if you're trying to live only out of your resources, if if your way of operating, if my way of operating in the world is if I don't have it, I can't do it. That's actually a really prideful way to live, and a, a way of unbelief to live. And remember, what faith does is faith opens our vision to see that the most important thing about anything we walk through in life is God. It's not us. It's not our resources. What's what we're capable of. It is and. To do that, to begin to see, you know what, like I can't live out of my own resources in life. It's actually an incredibly freeing way to live. And over the last like 18 months, two years, my, like God has been driving this, this message home with me again and again and again. And I am in, I am in control of basically nothing. And the sooner you, like, you come to see that, the more free you act. It, it feels free to feel like you're in control. And, like, you can run things and you can, you know, manipulate and, and put things in the way that you want. It's, it feels really free to live that way, but it's not. What's really free is to say, God, I don't, I don't know what's ahead. I just know you're in it, and I'm going to be faithful in whatever step you call me to do. It's an incredibly freeing way to live, but it requires humility. It requires getting smaller, seeing that you don't have the resources that you need to navigate your life, and you were never supposed to have them. And if you ever start thinking you have them, then you're wrong. And we've got to go back to square one. Because you're going to die in the wilderness. You'll never eat grapes unless you live with a God-sized vision of what's ahead of you. And God is in the midst of whatever it is that's ahead of you. So you have to get smaller at one. And then secondly is, is we have to pray. Pray bigger. That if, if, if you and I are going to begin to over time to look ahead and see God in the reality of whatever's in front of us, you're going to have to have a life of prayer. The only way that like 
you can look at what's ahead and see God in the midst of all of it as if, if your life is bathed with prayer. And that's even where, um, where Paul goes in Philippians. And there's a, a book in the New Testament, a letter in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul writes, and he writes it from prison. So he's got some cred here. He's not writing this from a beach house where life's easy and good and he's you know, given his thoughts um, from well. He's No, he's in prison. And he says this to a church he, he cared deeply about. He says to them, do not be anxious about anything. It's like the worst advice to an anxious person, isn't it? Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So Paul said, pray. And in prayer, two things happen. One, you give everything over to God, right? Like, I don't have the resources. This is your problem. You made this world. You made me. You made all the problems around me. You figure it out. Right? You give those things to God. And then secondly, there's peace, which surpasses all understanding. And your, guard, your hearts and your minds will be guarded in Christ Jesus. And there's, like this, there's this, this peace, this freeing way of living. And listen, I, I don't know if this is like, uh, if this is good of me or not, but you know, we, we sent out the initial uh, offer to the building on Monday. Um, and I didn't think about any response until it was Thursday afternoon. I was like, oh, yeah, I wonder if we've heard a response. Uh, yeah, and we have a real estate person in control of that, just to be clear. It's not me doing that. But I, like, I, I felt in that moment a moment of, of growth and letting go. And we said from the beginning, like, listen, we, like, I, put, I have always for the last year thought moving into a permanent facility is a crucial need for us as a campus. And this is a really important moment for us. And yeah, like I, I don't know why I didn't think about it for four days. Maybe not a good thing. I don't. I think it is. Um, it's just this is like I just trust God has this. Whether it's a yes or a no moving forward, I'm not worried. And when you get to a place where where God is in the midst of your reality and and you're you're just laying things out before Him in in prayer. Um, Life just looks differently. That is not to say all anxiety and all fear and all worry goes away. It doesn't. There are other things I worried about this week. Just not, maybe I didn't have enough time for this. But the answer that God gives to our worries and our fears, and when we look ahead and we see giants ahead of us, his answer to us is not just do not be anxious. It's prayer. It's let God enter into the midst of everything that you're doing. And it's not just prayer, because the person we're praying to himself entered into our anxieties and our worries and our fears. And when you hear, when Luke depicted Jesus the night that he died on the cross praying for us, he says, Jesus prayed for us, prayed for the task in front of him with such intensity that he sweat like drops of blood. Like he was so engaged in that moment. And Luke says that in his anguish, he prayed all the more earnestly for you and for me. That's who we, we don't just go, we don't just go to a God that says, you know what, stop being anxious, I got this, stop worrying. No, we go to a God who took on our concerns, who took on our burdens, who took on our resourceless life to give us salvation, to give us a cross. And so as you, whatever you have ahead of you, whether it's, you know, I know you're, this building for us church corporately, or what's happening to you individually, let Jesus fill that reality. Fill your vision. Let us, let us take everything to him in prayer, let us meet him in prayer, have our vision restored, have, have things given, given to us clearly in front of us. Let our confidence in him be strengthened and let us live a life of bold faith. Let's pray. Father, we, we come to you as a God who has provided 
for us your own son, Jesus Christ. And as Paul reflected in Romans, if, if you have given us Jesus, your own son, what, what would you ever hold back from us? And so, Lord, each of us come into this place with, with different things ahead of us, things that feel like giants, that feel like un, unconquerable problems. And, Lord, we're thankful that we know they are in our own resources. And yet, Lord, as we, as we think about whatever is on our heart and mind, as we look into that, the problems, the tensions, the things that cause us worry or fear or anxiousness, Lord, let us look into those things and see you right in the middle of them. Give us eyes to see that, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.